to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink. I'm Jolyn Drennan, and this is New Hampshire Family Now. A show about building family in the Granite State. Today on the podcast, Children's Trust Communications Specialist Victoria Carrington joins us to talk big hair, being a weirdo, in the scene space that is representation. And later, I'm joined by a Ride for Resilience panel who connects the dots between family strength and family support. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, healthcare, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. Dot nhcf.org. This podcast was also brought to you by Family Support New Hampshire. Family Support New Hampshire is NH's coalition of family resource centers and family strengthening programs that exist to ensure Granite State families have access to resources so both caregivers and children can succeed because supported families are strong families. To find a family resource center near you, visit www.fsnh.org. Hey, it's Nathan, co-host of New Hampshire Family Now. I wanted to take a quick break from the show because it occurred to me the other day that I've never asked you to subscribe to this podcast. Subscribing is free, and when you do it, it helps our placement algorithms, making it that much easier for caregivers across New Hampshire to find valuable information and strategies for their families. Also, you'll be alerted when a new episode drops. And if you like the show, leaving a review helps us that much more. So go to wherever you get your podcast, type in New Hampshire Family Now, and as the kids say, smash that subscribe button. I say click it because if you smash it, then you're going to need a new one. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today on the show, we welcome someone new to the trust, someone borrowed. What's your favorite color? It's actually blue. That is so lame and cheesy. (laughs) Uh, Someone named Victoria Carrington, who is the Children's Trust new communications guru. Victoria, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I really am super excited. Four weeks in, I noticed you still have a bounce in your step. Yeah. I suppose now is the best time to ask, what brings you to the work of the Children's Trust? Yeah. I mean, when I met you about a year ago and talked about strengthening children and families through New Hampshire, I was like, oh, I love this message, considering I moved to New Hampshire to help with children who aren't mine. So first off, families are really important to me. Second, some may not realize that I had a career in education before because teachers are a huge, if not very vital part of a child support system. And I'm so glad you're on the trust team. I'm so glad you're in the Marcom team, which we call obviously the dark side. Of course. Your resilience factor burns so brightly. Mm -hmm. I would love to explore. Where's that come from? You know, I was raised as an only child. And I think some of that comes from just that level in my childhood of spending a lot of time alone. Like my dad travels a lot um, for work. So he was able to provide, you know, a really financially great life. And what I've learned is like my mom had some supports, but she didn't have all the support she needed. So to counteract that, I had to basically learn to kind of care for myself a lot more and maybe a lot sooner than some. But that's where that resiliency comes from. My mom would be doing, you know, she'd be taking her break and it's like, but who do I play with? You know, and I was a very shy kid. 
And that is actually why I studied communications. So to get out of yourself a little bit? Listen, when you are the multiracial, quiet, only child in your neighborhood, that screams weird. (laughs) Now I'm like, I'm the weird kid, guys. You had mentioned earlier this idea of communal support, and I'm very much curious to your mind, given your background and where you were reared and how you were reared, what does communal support look like? Mm, That's a really great question. I think communal support is when you feel like you have something you can lean on, whether that's a person, whether that's an institution. I know that no matter what, how I show up, that this entity, this support is going to be there. Now, you had mentioned earlier about growing up uh, multiracial, quiet, and seeing support that looks like you, that feels like you, that talks like you, that acts like you is critical to essentially access. And that's obviously representation. So I want to put those two pieces together based on kind of where you're coming from. This idea of communal support and representation. How do you see those two things merging together to cause more access? So support is, I've got you. Representation is, I see you. Both of those things are important, but just because somebody's gotcha doesn't mean someone sees you. And I think that that's an important distinction and why representation is so important in child rearing in, you know, just the human experience. And I say it that way because like, you know, going back to the supports my mom did have, you know, I was raised really religious. And so there was a lot of very nice people that were there that would care for me, but none of them look like me. None of them look like my mom. None of them really look like my dad. And so while everybody was nice and I felt like, you know, supported and cared, I didn't feel seen. And that's a real important distinction. It's a similar concept, but I keep thinking about my son, Loic, who has wildly long hair. Mm -hmm. Every time he sees someone who has long hair like him, he is, you can see him brighten up, which is interesting because I remember early on uh, when we went to the pediatrician, the pediatrician was asking about why aren't we cutting his hair? And, you know, I mean, it's just amazingly wild and beautiful and I have so much envy. But I think about that in, in just the ways in which we see ourselves reflected back to us and what that affords us in terms of security and then what it affords us in terms of possibility. So if we like feel seen, we feel heard, we are more likely to seek that access point. And what then does it afford us in terms of our aspirations? So when you have community support and you have representation, that is the spark that lights up brilliance. And that's how one goes from resilience to brilliance and kind of in the callback to like, so I love how you're talking about your son and long haired boys. Like that's amazing. And so I think about like my own, you know, to to scope in on that of of representation. So anyone who knows me today, especially in New Hampshire, knows that I have this big curly hair. Like, you know, I got big hair, you know. Um, But in that representation, going back to how I grew up and I said I didn't see anybody look like me, I straightened my hair, actually, props to my mother, every Sunday night would sit for four hours and straighten my long, curly, thick, beautiful hair because... Like I didn't see anybody with hair like mine. So why would I, why would I wear my hair curly when everybody I saw had straight hair that was very different than mine? And so I spent all of those years taming it. And I remember I wore it once curly in high school and people were like, what happened to you? 
And that's the other reason why representation, because so many people were questioning me. They were like, what's wrong with you now? Your hair is different. What's wrong with you? And that's what I heard and felt is something is different about me. Something is wrong about me. Okay. I got to get back in the assimilation machine. And, and I think that that's why representation allows you to be safe. It allows you to be who you are. Yeah. I just, I think that it adds to that piece of like, you know, that community support that can always be there. But like, I just, I don't want a safe space. I want a scene space. Scene space. That's incredible. You know, what we should do is actually we should create a new segment for the podcast where we dedicate it specifically to underrepresented narratives. Are you down? I'm 100% down. Well, I am so thrilled to be having this conversation with you. I'm even more thrilled you're on staff now so we can work together every day. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Victoria. It's a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure and a lot of fun. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm thrilled to welcome a panel of guests to talk about our up and coming Ride for Resilience. Don't go anywhere. This Friday, October 14th, riders are hopping on their bicycles and pedaling 100 miles across New Hampshire to raise awareness of the statewide resources available to all Granite State families. To learn more about the Ride for Resilience, participating riders, New Hampshire's network of family resource centers, or to make a donation, visit nhchildrenstrust.org backslash r4r. That's nhchildrenstrust.org backslash r, the number four, r. Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. Today's show was also brought to you by the Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy and Protection Program, a multidisciplinary program with the Children's Hospital established to evaluate and provide integrative care to suspected victims of child maltreatment. Together, a team of physicians, advanced practice registered nurses, social workers, nurses, and child life specialists work to provide consultation and evaluations of children who are suspected victims of abuse, so to serve in the best interest of children and families at multiple levels of prevention. For more information about Children's Hospital at Dartmouth-Hitchcock and the Child Advocacy Protection Program, visit www.chadkids.org backslash child advocacy. Welcome back to the podcast. And for this segment, we are thrilled to welcome a panel of family strength influencers, Penny Vane, Program Director from Healthy Starts at HCS Services in Keene, Margaret Nelson, Executive Director at the River Center in Peterborough, Brenda Gugisberg, Executive Director at the Upper Room in Derry, and Mark Knights, partner at Nixon Peabody and founder of the Ride for Resilience. Everybody, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Hi. 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 I am thrilled to be sitting here on this interview on the eve of year two of the Ride for Resilience, which, as you know, starts at HCS Services in Keene and ends at Vernon Family Farm in Newfields 100 miles later. Mark, I'm curious to know, how does it feel to be once again riding across New Hampshire in support of family strengthening programming? It's it's a daunting task again in front of me, but this is something I'd hoped we had been, we would be able to do again when I conceived of the ride originally. I thought it really had the potential to be something that we could do annually to get people involved, to get the word out about the great work that the FRCs are doing and that the Children's Trust is doing. And I was just really surprised and gratified to get the support I got last year from the community and uh, have it be possible to do the ride again this year. So there, there really is a big thank you in order to everybody who donated either their time or their money last year 
to make it possible to do it again this year. So, Mark, maybe it's just me, though. I do suspect not that, you know, being a parent or a caregiver means that you and your interpretation of resilience and resilience building changes year by year. What is this last year in your life brought to you in terms of that understanding? Well, this past year has been a a really challenging one uh, for me personally. I've been as busy as I've ever been at work. My law firm, uh, Nixon Peabody, is representing hundreds of people who, as children, were placed in the state's uh, youth facilities and were abused uh, while they were there, some of them quite severely. And as a father of three children, it's been really heartbreaking to hear some of these stories. And it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of really rewarding work uh, to be able to help these people. But it's been difficult to find the time to do that and to be fully present at home with my own family and to find the time to train for the ride. And so staying on top of all those responsibilities to juggle them, to stay positive, to continue moving forward, that's been a, a lesson in resilience for me. And I said about I said it about last year's ride, and I'll say it again about this year's ride. It's been enormously helpful to have a really involved and supportive partner in my wife, Stephanie. So shout out to her as well. Penny, the ride begins at Healthy Starts, and we are grateful for you and your colleague from HGS Services in Keene for hosting this year's Healthy Starts starting line. When we talk about providing our children with a healthy start in life, what do we mean by that, and why is it so important? Well, thank you, Nathan. I think having a a healthy start in life is really about all the attachment and bonding that happens early on and, and really promotes that resilience that Mark was talking about children needing so much is that really good, strong foundation of emotional bonding. The interesting thing about Healthy Stars is that you can start over and over and over so many times during your life. And I sort of equate that to this training for this bike ride where there have been many times when I've been like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I, there's no way I'm going to do this again. I can't do this. And then we do. And there's been so much joy in the whole experience of training up for this bike ride. But there have been so many challenges. And I imagine that's very much like equates to what it was like being a parent and still parenting and grandparenting. There's so many challenges every day. And yet programs like Healthy Starts and the River Center and the Upper Room are there to help families to build that resilience and those strong foundations to get through. Obviously, life is a multi-generational experience. So I'm curious to know how you feel that a healthy start plays against the lifespan of an individual. Well, I think we recognize, you know, when babies are born, everybody loves them. You know, they're so sweet. They're adorable. They're cute. And and then as they get older, maybe they're not so cute and the behaviors are getting a little bit more challenging. And all that predictability about having a, bib, a baby and knowing when to feed them and um, having directions about how to change their diapers, that all changes, right? And we need all that support moving forward as we figure out what the five-year-old looks like and what a 16-year-old what their needs and developmental milestones are and emotionally how they how they are and what they need. And so we all need that support over and over again as as children grow and even into adults. I mean, all of us here need support on a continuing basis, whether we realize it or not. Yeah, I think that was kind of Mark at the root of my question earlier was this idea that development is a constant reconsideration of where your child is at and where you're at as a caregiver, right? Against this kind of changing landscape of work and responsibilities and all of that. But, you know, support obviously doesn't happen in isolation. Um, And Margaret, I love this idea that, you know, resilience runs through organizations 
organizations like the River Center. Can you speak to how a family resource center like the River Center works to build resilience through its programming? So I've been thinking about this idea that resilience runs through the River Center. And so the River Center conjures up a picture of a river. And uh, I was thinking about whitewater rafting and how when you are whitewater rafting, you are either some of the time you're in calm waters and sometimes it gets turbulent and you encounter rocks and sometimes you capsize. (laughs) Resilience is about helping people prepare for the unexpected so that they can, let's just say, go with the flow. (laughs) (laughs) But the you know, there's things you do when you're going to go whitewater rafting to prepare for the unanticipated sort of things that might happen. The rocks will happen. You will encounter rapids. You will also encounter calm. How do you prepare for that? You get yourself a life jacket. You never whitewater alone. You know how to swim. You're you're anticipating this stuff. You learn techniques. The same thing happens in family resource centers with families because it can be turbulent. Mm -hmm. It also can be such a joy. But our resilience comes when we're prepared for the unexpected. We have started a savings account so that we can get the new tires. We are anticipating child development. We are learning tips and tricks to help us with our parenting skills. We are meeting other people that are also going through the same thing. We're developing our tools so that we can go with the ebbs and flows of our parenting journey. So that's what all of our family resource centers are striving to do to prepare families and individuals for the life that we lead. I'm so glad you said it and framed it like that, because it's almost like you bring this stuff hoping you may never use it. But when you need it, it's there. And that also speaks to this idea of connection, right? Connection to resources, but also connection to others. And this particular ride is meant to physically connect family resource centers across the state. This concept of connection, why is it so important to the work that you're doing? None of us can do life by ourselves. Raising a child, I think, can be very isolating and very daunting. I myself lived in a cabin in the woods when I had my firstborn. And I'll just tell you, it's very isolating. We all need other people to come alongside us. And sometimes it's not that easy to meet other people who your neighbors may not be in the same place as you are. So to be able to meet other people who are also raising a baby or a toddler or a elementary child or a teenager, there is a camaraderie there that we learn from each other and we need each other. And it doesn't really matter what your socioeconomic or educational background is. Raising a toddler is raising a toddler. And there are a lot of similarities and things that we learn from each other. And to know that we're not alone and to know that there is a resource for us as family resource centers. I always like to emphasize the resource part. We are there to be a resource uh, no matter where you're at in that stage of life. Now, Brenda, I just use that word intentional and I've used it before because I think that what we are doing here with all of this is really creating intentional pathways of support within the community. And if we are to step back and define what intentional support looks like in, say, Derry, where you're located, what would you say? 
I'm a teacher by trade. So I always look for definition of words and the definition of intentional is done on purpose or deliberate. So when I think about what family resource centers are doing and the reason we're doing it, there is a very purposeful, deliberate methodology to why we welcome people, why we celebrate and support them, why we meet them where they're at. That when I think about what dairy's trying to do, we're serving families from zero to death and we're looking at meeting people where they're at and being deliberate about the way we connect with people. The word connection has threaded itself through this conversation. And that really is something that is critical to children and families. Margaret, you talked about the isolation. It's critical for people to feel connected. And that the way we do that is very deliberate in our support groups and in our classes and in our educational programs. So when I think about intentional, that everything we do is a purpose. Yeah. And it hopefully penetrate like filters down, you know, because this concept too lives in my family unit. It lives in your family unit, everybody's family unit that we really, and I think this is a surprise realization, just how much intention I have to have with my actions and to create these rooms for our own family strength to grow. And it feels too, it's like this is cast over what can feel like these never ending series of challenges. How can we to make room within our families for ourselves or our children to build strength and resilience? Well, I think when we talk about intentionality, and, and this is something we do with purpose, is we're looking to celebrate what families are doing well. So we start with that. What are we doing awesome at? How amazing are you at doing this one thing? And we build upon those strengths and we build upon the things that we see families doing really well. We celebrate when they've overcome a challenge and we make a big deal about the things that felt unattainable to them. And so it's really helping families and individuals learn new strategies and, and try new ideas and holding their hand or pushing them along or celebrating them along to be able to do that. The most important part of that is just really giving people the confidence and confidence, you know, is really kind of equal to resilience. And if you feel confident doing something and advocating and trying the new skill, you're more likely to keep doing it. So, yeah. It does occur to me that we talk about family strength and resilience here a lot, but these are terms that can feel far away. So I'd love for us one by one to go around and finish a simple sentence. Resilience is what? Um, I think of it as hope. I think of it as a 15-year-old young boy that I work with who comes here, lost his mom recently, and comes here after school every day and is learning to navigate through life without the world he knew before. And he's being mentored and guided. And he's also being wrapped around when things are really, really challenging for him. When I think about resilience for him, it's helping him get through high school and thrive and be okay. And some days he's not, but he's here and he's safe. We're building upon that. Margaret, what about you? Well, I think about a grandmother that I met uh, a few weeks ago who, when I told her about the kinship program, she looked at me and said, I gave up a long time ago. And trying not to be Tigger, <clears throat> I was like, well, I'm here to give you some hope. She had reached out for help 10 years ago when her grandson first came to live with her and she had come up dry. The all the places that she went to didn't give her any 
help. She was on her own, legal fees, all the different things she had to work with. And our kinship navigator was able to reach out to her. And there's a glimmer of hope that she just might get some support and some help for her now 13-year-old grandson. Penny, what about you? Um, so I, when I think about resilience, I think about strength and I think about the gal, Sarah, who called us a bit ago and said, wow, I finally got that apartment that we applied for three years ago. And my daughter and I are moving in and I have a job and I just bought a car and it all started with you guys helping me find the way. Now, Mark is as the founder of the Ride for Resilience, you know, now we're in year two. What is it like to hear this conversation unfold? I'm just I'm just overjoyed that we can have this conversation. That's what the ride was intended to do was to bring attention to the the outstanding work that people like Penny and Margaret, Brenda and all their colleagues are doing. And that's what the ride is about. It's about them. It's not about me. They're the ones doing the hard work and riding a bike 100 miles across the state. Pretty easy lift in comparison. I can't tell you in all seriousness, this has been such a pleasure to have this discussion. I would have it over and over again. Thank you so much for joining this uh, this conversation. And thank you so much for participating in the Ride for Resilience. Thank you, Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Mark and Penny. To learn more about the Ride for Resilience or donate, go to nhchildrenstrust.org backslash R4R. Many thanks to the Samuel P. Hunt Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. Established in 1951, Samuel P. Hunt Foundation is a Manchester-based, independent nonprofit that provides grants primarily for the arts, children and youth services, faith-based organizations, educational institutions, healthcare, and human services. This podcast was brought to you by Nixon Peabody, who delivers exceptional legal services for clients in the community by combining high performance, an entrepreneurial spirit, deep engagement, and an unwavering commitment to a culture of collaboration, diversity, and humanity. Nixon Peabody works with universities, hospitals, and nonprofits of every size to maximize impact. For more information, visit nixonpeabody.com. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now.